my home state is South Carolina, but um, similar to you guys, I travel all across the country to hunt when the season runs around. So we've been blessed with a, a, a lot of rain out here, but we do head out west, you know, Kansas, Oklahoma. That's some big states for us, Mississippi, Arkansas. And uh, yeah, I've been watching the water levels religiously because that's a, a big factor to determine, you know, how successful, at least from a bird number, we think these hunts will be. And uh, it, it hasn't looked too good. Yeah, they've had a couple tough years through the Midwest. Yes, sir. But, uh, you know, I had a guy on, uh, I just posted an episode with TJ Fleetwood. He's a two-time Oklahoma State duck call champion. And he said, for some reason, surprisingly, Oklahoma's pretty wet right now. So it's like the bands have come in that line and, and, and kind of skipped Kansas and Nebraska and, and Texas and just happened to hit Oklahoma. The way it goes sometimes, all that stuff seemed to be swinging more west to east, I guess, than, than northwest and down, you know. But uh, hopefully some of that water will trickle on down these river systems and give us boys down south something to get excited about. That's right. I, are you guys planning to hit the road pretty soon? Are y'all heading up north this year? Or? Yeah, we went to uh, – we went over to Louisiana with some of our real tree friends last week for teal. Uh, Dennis and I did uh, Missouri and Arkansas for some dove, and then we'll we'll kind of get our affairs in order this month. To uh, we got drawn for that South Dakota deal, and we've got some other stuff out west we we got to make. So we're gonna obviously still squeeze that in. Usually we when we go to South Dakota, we'll do North Dakota as well, but. Uh, not sure that uh that'll happen this year because of time constraints but obviously with the south dakota draw we'll we'll definitely hit that great state and uh enjoy some time there there you go yeah i know we're uh we've been looking at north dakota's kind of been like a highlight of for states so far this year you know we've you know the numbers that came out from you know ducks unlimited and the u.s fish and wildlife survey had a little everybody a little upset but you know, North Dakota with the brood numbers being up nearly 80 percent. Um, the hatch has been really good there. And that's had a lot of people excited hunting South Dakota, North Dakota. And then, of course, when the migration comes down, I think they're going to be kind of a saving grace for the season. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on all those numbers. Everybody gets pretty wound up about that. But, I, you know, my personal perspective as, as an outdoorsman, a uh, guy that chases these things, and, and Dennis and I have done that for quite a while now i i don't think those always in fact i don't think they very often correlate into what a successful hunting season looks like uh, especially if you're not focused on numbers but even considering the numbers i i don't know that there's a direct correlation between those reports and any any hunting season i've ever had if that makes sense i think it's very important for the long-term studies and limit setting and so forth that these agencies and uh, committees, you know, put in place, obviously it's very important, but as far as what they mean for us as outdoorsmen this, this coming season, I, I feel like uh, even on really bad, badly predicted years, I think that, that fortunately we've been able to find some good spots here and there, if that makes sense. There's still ducks out there to be, be caught, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And it, you know, those population numbers, the breeding population numbers that come out, that's, that's mature birds. Right. And that's not very, 
when you and I, especially hunting the southern parts of the flyway, that's not the birds we're chasing uh, for the most part. You know, we're waiting for those young birds. Those, uh, what do you guys call them? Those Ivy League ducks? We don't want those birds. We want those young ones that are a, a little new to the scene. Um, and, you know, this it's it's alarming to see. I get it from a perspective of, you know, a conservationist and a hunter. A lot of the money that we put forward and we donate and, you know, a lot of what our stamp goes to uh, has to do with making sure these breeding numbers are, you know, Ducks Unlimited has the land up up north in the Prairie Pothole region that they can kind of protect. And we can use that as the as the factory, the generating factory for these ducks. So I get it. It's alarming to see. And I don't like to see the drop. But to that same effect, you know, in 1983, 1984, numbers were just as low or a little bit lower. And, you know, I know, especially when we were hunting back in the Arkansas, Mississippi, really heavy, you know, 10 years ago, some of those low number years were some of our best years that we actually had hunting. So it's it's hard to say. Um, similar, you've already alluded to it, and what I always say is just what you already kind of highlighted is the birds are still out there. If you're willing to put in the work, you're going to find the birds. You're going to have a great, successful hunt. And and the best thing we can do is keep the conservation dollars rolling in, um, you know, speak up and be a voice for a public hunter as, as necessary, as we feel we need to be. Um, but, I mean, we just got to keep enjoying it and keep pursuing it, ultimately. Yeah, absolutely, man. You nailed it, John. But Billy, I was excited to get you on, man. Um, I've been a long time listener. Uh, it's it's kind of been a, a bit of a, and when I started this, I, I'll, I'll be candid in saying it. I kind of came into the perspective with starting this podcast and, you know, kind of trying to break into the, the waterfowl industry that, you know, it was all headed in the wrong direction and it was all bad. And there's been too much focus on, you know, just the killing. Um, you know, there's a lot of unethical practices going on out there i feel like that kind of get highlighted and social media hasn't really helped that it's kind of helped uh paint the wrong picture in my opinion but in all of that i've kind of realized that there's people out there like yourself and dennis that are kind of the equilibrium i'll say is thank you for you know the the picture and, and kind of putting the i'd say the old way out there of, of what's really important right so just being out there actually pursuing it you know, having the chance to to share the blind, getting young people incorporated, you know, a lot of the things which you do, especially when you guys are out there on the public land and you're able to kind of tag the guy or or help the other guy out and bring them in the blind or back into the hole with you that, you know, doesn't necessarily have plans or options that you guys have, you know, and I think you guys have been able to to do what other people aren't willing to do in this day and age and kind of opening the door to public waterfowling and letting everybody know it's, it's a community thing. Right. And, and, and we're all sharing this and we're all chasing the same passion and we don't need to start shutting people out from that. So the big thing I wanted to say was thank you. Well, thank you for the very kind words and thank you more for, for yourself, uh, of being a voice with what you do and, and helping spread that word. I mean, you know, Dennis and I, we, we just a couple old, old rednecks, man. We can sit over here in our corner and talk all we want, but it, it takes guys like you, the younger guys, and even guys younger than you that you know are very active in this sport. Uh, it, it takes those guys to make the real difference, and and uh, I really appreciate your efforts in, in doing things the right way as well. Thank you for that. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And one thing that we've, we've been talking about a lot on a couple of my podcasts so far, um, even with a daddy duck who's an older gentleman out here in South Carolina that's been hunting for 50 years. Um, you know, a lot of things that we feel like that has been lacking on the young generation is kind of that mentor out in the field. 
And, you know, you guys have been able to kind of fill that shoe, you know, from an online perspective and not really being there. So distantly, you guys have been able to fill that shoe as a mentor for a lot of young guys. And, you know, I just I'm, I'm excited for as much growth as you guys have seen. You know, I remember the first video seeing Dennis uh, on that Yeti video when it rolled out and he had the old uh, uh, Jeep or what was it? It was the, uh, the actual E-Series van, right? And, <laughs> and yeah. I remember seeing that video and the growth you guys have had since then. And just, you know, again, being able to be that beacon is, is awesome. And I hope you guys continue to grow and, and kind of allow the, uh, the community to grow with you. And I really appreciate that very much. And in that same light, the last episode that you guys posted on, on the Dr. Duck podcast was one of the ones I was kind of most excited about after I listened to it, because you touched on a lot of topics I think have been, and, you know, for lack of better words, kind of plaguing the public hunter, or the uh, the traveling hunter, if you will. Um, you touched about how Arkansas is restricted to season. Um, you touched on how some of the, the kind of old regulations from back in the farm or farm hunting days is when, you know, transporting birds across state lines and how that kind of impacts your hunt. And it's very easy for a hunter to uh, get caught up and mistake the practice of of what cleaning your birds and, you know, how they have to stay kind of attached across state lines, how a hunter can overlook these things and, you know, are essentially caught up in, in the wrong thing and are breaking the law, you know, not willingly, but just by lack of understanding. And, you know, one thing that I mentioned in the message that I sent out to you um, when we were trying to get this scheduled was that, you know, we hunt Kansas pretty regularly. Now we used to hunt Arkansas. And one thing that Kansas has recently done is, They've actually taken away a few days from hunters when it comes to a you know a week time frame of hunting. So what Kansas has done is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, that's the only days an out of state hunter can hunt public land right now. They've taken away the rest of the week. Um, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on things like that? What do you think drives those decisions? Number one and number two, do you think it's it's really got the public hunters as a whole best interest at heart? Yeah, that's it. You know, it's such a tough topic to discuss, and and I'll I'll say first that obviously under these current times in our world in general, and in America in general, the 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 thought and the process surrounding added regulations is probably amplified. It's not probably; it is amplified. But this is a conversation Dennis and I kind of get into rabbit holes frequently and have in our history of almost 30 years hunting together that I, I never feel regulations, more regulations are never the answer. If you, and I, I hate to put too much emphasis on a state like Arkansas, uh, especially with all the criticism about out of state or hunting there anyway. However, they are the best example. You know, every time they put in one of these non-resident laws, there's, you can just, you could bet on the fact that next year there's going to be another bucket full of laws to try and regulate what's been happening as a result of the laws that put in place last season. It's just, and when you, you go a little deeper than that, you know, they're migratory birds. And the, the tough part of that conversation for me is I understand it's your responsibility as a state to manage that state probably with your residents as your first interest. I get it. Makes perfect sense. But is the answer limiting access to guys that 
have the freedom or have the opportunity to go into that state at some point that year? I mean, is it a benefit to anyone really limiting their access on public land? A lot of it that has federal money involved in maintaining and keeping it public. I'm just, it's a tough situation to navigate. And I think at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people, I haven't said a lot about it until this year because I've just been learning, but I'm blessed and very thankful for the opportunity to be nominated to be on the Migratory Waterfowl Committee for our state. And that's been a great learning experience. Uh, and what I've found doing that is that a lot of times, a lot of these regulations get put in place with not as much public input as there could be. It's like the Kansas deal. I mean, yeah, it's kind of become a popular topic, but is that actually in place? Did they pass that or are they still talking about it? Do you know? So my understanding was there was two meetings on it. Uh, the first one was in July and the second one was in August. And it passed the first round unanimously in July. And I think it started to catch traction with the public and guys like myself that, you know, uh, go out there and hunt. I haven't seen an update on what the the August meeting. I know it was the end of August. I haven't seen an update as to what the actual you know determination was after that meeting. Um, I've searched around and tried to find it. I hope they plan to release it pretty soon. I know it's not going to affect us this season. Uh, but again, I'm not sure if it's 100 percent yet. But I know it passed unanimously that first round. I mean, I, I don't really understand what they're helping. You know, you hear all the guys talk about how popular and how crowded and how all this, you know, you, you hear the rumbling all the time. And, and back to your comment about social media and, and kind of bad light on stuff, it's all how you look at it. You know, when I see a group of guys killing a bunch of ducks on social media, I am I understand what probably went into that hunt especially if they're on public, you know, I understand the work they put in. I can, in my head, I can envision the, the great day they must've had with the camaraderie and the, you know, I, I see all that. A guy that doesn't understand that's going to look at that and see it in a different light. Or you got guys out there, unfortunately, who, who maybe are a little selfish and, and maybe get jealous of those situations. I don't know. Uh, there are a lot of different things that be going on. But that all that put together kind of puts a bad rap on social media. I think social media is great. It's a great tool. And if you look at it in the right light, uh, I think it's a good thing. And I'm sorry, I got a dog over here. Let me let this dog out. <laughs> Hang on, John. I'm so sorry. All good, brother. Sorry, dude, I'm like ADHD and I get the animals in the background making racket, wanting attention. I just got to kick them all out the house. I can't focus, but, you know, um, now I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> all right so you were talking about social media being good yeah and i've seen them put these regulations and it's kind of like the squeaky wheel gets the oil right and it 
I'm not going to say they're knee-jerk reactions because I see the work that these committees with these states do. Uh, and I think it's just on us. It's on us at the end of the day to make sure our voices are heard, uh, make sure they're reasonable voices. Obviously, I think that's a, a, a huge responsibility on our end. And I, we just got to start talking about these things. And that was the purpose of that podcast. And for everybody listening, I mean, the, the days are cutting out in Kansas. Uh, what they're doing in Arkansas. You know, I had a game warden approach me from a different state uh, two years ago and tell me, hey, I was curious to get your thoughts. We're thinking about putting these some of these regulations that Arkansas have been doing in our state. And you personally have hunted multiple states. Some of the guys listening to your podcast right now may have not had that opportunity yet. But I can tell you, I mean, John, when you pull up to a boat ramp in Arkansas, how many boats are you going to see there? Yeah, so I'll be honest with you, Billy. Me specifically, when I pull up to a boat ramp in Arkansas, I don't see any other boats. Um, <laughs> it, it's a di- it's different. It's a completely different area than you guys hunt, and uh, I think we've talked about that a little bit in the messages. But to that same tune, when you pull up to these WMAs, these green tree reservoirs that you guys are hunting, you can't count as high as those boats are that are stacked up there. Yeah, it's nuts. And and the guy, the game warden telling me this in that other day, that day at that boat ramp, we were the eighth boat. I mean, and I want, I was just, bro, you have really no idea what real pressure looks like, you know. And even with that said, there's more pressure now, in my opinion. Uh, you know, we didn't cut our teeth in the Green Tree Reservoirs over there. And you know better than anybody, and guys listening that are passionate about waterfowl hunting, you go find the ducks and you hunt them. And we've taken a little criticism for hitting some hot spots recently, but at the end of the day, it's all about where the ducks are. And you used to, you know, we used to, federal land was always a better option for us 20 some years ago. It just so happens now that more ducks are on the state land. And now when they, cut out the access to the state land well guess what's happening outside those 30 days or honestly 29 days that we're given now all these guys are getting dumped on the federal land and you're they've created a whole new bottleneck and i'm sure we'll see more regulation (laughs) down the pipe to try and manage that but really I, i i'm just not sure that's the answer long term and i'm sorry i rambled but that's kind of a, a hot spot for me right now. I don't, you probably, I don't know if you say, I just made a post of a voicemail. You know, this 30 day deal in Arkansas. Yeah, you're good. Uh, it's, um, you really only get 29 of those days and you really only got 29 of them last year. And I figured they'd address it and they didn't address it. And so I've been, and I finally got a response. And, and even though we're capable of buying 30 days, they're only going to give us 29 of them because the way they set it up. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, it, sometimes it blows my mind. And, and I just, I want to make sure everybody, again, I, I fall back to that reasonable voice. You know, I, I don't think that limiting access, we have a bigger shift. You, you alluded to it earlier, and it's, it's really the culture right that's 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 getting involved and we need people involved uh that you can talk about the 
public sector all day long. The fact is the number of hunters that are chasing birds is still in a decline. It's not been as bad the last couple of years, but they're just, there ain't as many guys out there chasing. And part of that is, I think, because one, we make it harder. It's more regulation. We don't have those mentors you talked about. We don't have guys getting them outside. And, and those are the, those are the areas we need to be focused on in improving, not adding trouble with, with more regulation. That makes sense. I can't agree with you more. I mean, you hit the nail or the, yeah, the nail on the head with everything you said there. And uh, it kind of sounds again, like a repeat of the podcast you guys already had, but it, it, again, it's stuff we need to talk about and yeah, your opinions there, it's exactly shared. And and my kind of thoughts on it and the reason it, it bothers me a little bit more um, is, you know, those areas that we hunt when we go to Arkansas, Mississippi, you know, we're not on the WMAs. We're not on uh, federal land or state land per se. You know, we hunt specifically the oxbows and, and we wait till the river comes up and that headwater starting to get in those oxbows. And we don't have to worry about you might see one or two other boats across 15 different lakes. And that's what we've been doing since, you know, I was 14 years old. And and it's the same thing, the kind of story in Kansas. We're not going to your Cheyenne Bottoms. We're not going to your Neosho or your Maria Descent. But, you know, we're hunting other public lakes and potholes that, you know, you have to go on Onyx. You have to look. You have to find these things. And you're not going to see another boat. And if you do see another boat, it's 100% not going to be a local resident. So myself and a lot of the guys I hunt with, we have a harder time kind of understanding why these restrictions put in place. But then you know, when you watch some of the videos that you guys have or some of the other videos out there, these boat races, a big lake and stuff like that, I can start to understand why they put these restrictions in place. But at the same time, and I'm curious what your thoughts are about this, I don't see these restrictions staying in place much longer. Uh, you know, I can see, it, you know, I'd say longest term, five years before things start to trickle back to where they should be, in my opinion. I, I think one thing that's not being it, it really kind of uh, the numbers are getting to it and it's not being shown in metrics is the kind of economic impact that we have on these areas as out-of-state hunters. And I'm curious to think or to hear what you have, what your thought process is on that. Do you think there's an economic impact that's kind of being ignored? I 100% agree with you, John. Uh, unfortunately, I think these regulations and the mindset lack common sense at times. And I would I would disagree with you, at least in my perspective, that it'll roll back in five years. I think I think if we continue down this path and we continue honestly to let government dictate these public lands that have been provided, uh, how and when and you know where we can use them, uh, I, I think that the trend will continue that direction until that reasonable voice, a unified voice of all outdoorsmen comes together and says, you know what, these are our lands. Uh, this is how we want to utilize them. And, and this needs to be taken into consideration. And so uh, until that movement happens, I don't, I don't see it rolling back. These guys have a, you know, I asked this very specific question. Why? I mean, get past the pressure. So what if there's pressure? I don't have a problem sliding far enough away where I'm not going to bother your hunt. There are people that, that, that'll climb right up on you. I understand that. But until we change that mindset of the hunter to be more respectful 
it ain't gonna change. I mean, I mean, it's not. And when I ask these questions, I get in that conversation with these guys who are leading these charges in various states on our podcast. The answer is always when, when John comes to our state, we want to make sure his experience is a quality. You know, so when John shows up, we want him to not be pressured by other hunters. We want him to have a successful hunt. We want him to enjoy that experience. Well, Dennis made a great point in that podcast you're referring to. We don't need somebody telling us what a successful hunt looks like. And yeah, maybe, maybe we're approaching a little different, but it's not always about the limits for us. Uh, and even, even if we're trying to kill birds, we've found success in areas away from other people when we need to. We found success in areas where there are a lot of people by getting away. You know, we, we control that. We know when the birds are going to be in a certain area. You, you alluded to it earlier. You, you watch the water levels. You watch the weather. You, you know what's going on. You're going to put the work in to find them. And that's part of that journey for us. And it's part of what we enjoy doing. So for these guys to say, well, we're going to set it up like this to ensure you have a quality hunt. I don't really need that going on. What I need is access to these public lands. You know, I, I grew up poor folk, man. And, and honestly, you know, you got guys who go put money into private land. You got guys who could spend money on leases. And I, I think that's awesome. Uh, conservation in its entirety is a great thing. Uh, I didn't have that option and I've elected in my later years to continue doing what I cut my teeth in. That's, that's hunting public land. And, uh, I want that experience to be the same as it was, obviously. More importantly, I want to make sure that my kids, as they grow up and get older, have the same kinds of experiences that I had. Uh, if that, if that makes sense. So, you know, I think the bigger thing is not the experience. I think the bigger thing is the accent. We need to be out there. And uh, we need to be able legally to be out there when we can, uh, you know, doing what we do. I think the tradition or the kind of lineage right just passing down your kids being able to do what we do and you know that's one of the the biggest kind of quarrels i have right now because i have three kids myself and i want them to be able to enjoy the outdoors the same way i did and and you know once they're in it if they love to do it they have that opportunity i think one thing and we've talked about this locally on our level at least i feel like within these kind of agencies that are managing the land and that can be arkansas game and fish that can be south carolina dnr wherever we're at I feel like there's kind of a lack of the people that grew up in the woods, the people that grew up hunting kind of in these positions. Right. And one thing I've always held this position on, you know, I'm, I was a blue collar guy for a long time. I worked my way up through the military and, you know, paid for college. And, you know, thankfully now I, I get to relax a little bit more in an office job and, and that affords me more opportunity to be able to hunt when season comes around. But I think there's a lot of kind of push for, people of our demographic, right? People who grew up kind of not the wealthiest. We grew up working. Um, there's there's a big push to go into trades. And I know Dennis himself is a tradesman. He has the HVAC company. But I think at some point we have to realize that one position we need to do is be ed allowing our kids the opportunity to experience the outdoors and hope that grows into something where they 
are you kind of we'll say it in a in a call to action type of way where they are infiltrating academia and they're pursuing biology degrees and wildlife management degrees and then in turn they can grow into these positions where they're the ones setting regulations or helping to influence the regulations that are set and i think the same is true up on on washington side right like we need guys and, and gals in positions where they can start pushing, putting legislation in place that protects these lands and ensures the public hunter and the hunter overall has a voice and i'm just curious what your thoughts are on that do you think that's that's kind of one position we should Take moving forward do you think we kind of need to change our own perspective to better the future yeah i, I couldn't agree with you more jonathan I, I would like to say from my experiences in these committees and dealing with the biologists that you talk i think there's some great people uh that are in place I, i've personally got to shake hands with some of the guys managing specific state land in arkansas and in texas uh, Oklahoma, Kansas, I I've met some of these guys and the guys that have their hands on those properties probably more often than not don't really have the resources. So I would, I would personally say the disconnect is probably inside between them and the government. You know, these guys, all they're doing is making recommendations and they probably, some of them walk the line between uh, the birds and the hunters, you know, I would imagine, but all they do is make recommendations. It's the government's responsibility and, and it, it's what they do to put the laws, actually put the laws in place. At least that's my understanding. I could be wrong, but that's the way it appears to me. And I do, I think there are some, there are some truly great outdoorsmen. You know, most of the guys who got into that, uh, several that I've had on the podcast. I mean, that we talk about their background in the outdoors and I think there's a great background there. I think they have a great appreciation for God's creation. And, and I do think they're, they're great people doing the right thing. And to your point, yes, it is important that we get our kids and get them excited about doing stuff like that. And I, you know, I hunt with a young man in Arkansas who is doing exactly what you're talking about. So, you know, and I think social media has helped that. I've seen a ton of people, man, that they'll reach out. Hey, man, oh, I love outdoors so much. I'm about to go to college. I got to be a part of this. You know, and obviously the first thing a lot of times, unfortunately, is how do I get into the industry? I want to film. I want to hunt. That's, that's really, you know, we're still trying to figure out how to make a dollar off of that. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, they're a small group of people on the planet like duck commander and uh Saki and you know waddell and guys like that that you see that that have made a good really good living here but but that's a limited number of people there there are much more opportunities where you're talking about you know becoming a biologist and and really having an impact. I mean, at the end of the day, it's probably what it all boils down to is how many people can you impact and what greater impact could you have than, than being involved in that, that process right there. So I agree with you completely. Uh, I do think there are great people there, but as the number of hunters and outdoorsmen decreases, the number of people involved with that hunting background probably follows. So I do think there's work there to do, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And I know you guys being in Texas, Texas is kind of 
turned into a little bit of a hot spot uh, for birds, I'd say the last five years. I'm starting to spend a lot more time in Texas myself, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, at least at least on the coast. I know uh, and when West Texas, you know, with the kind of the sand hills and the opportunity there and, and in this position, you know, that you've been uh, nominated into. Have you heard any kind of whispers here and there or, or uh, let's see, speculation that you guys are going to have to start implementing some of these more stringent uh, re- regulations in place for out of state hunters? Well, I, I I can promise you being being a part, getting a, again very blessed and thankful to be a part of that process in my home state. Uh, it ain't nothing here like it used to be, and you know I, I'm glad to hear your perspective on that coastal area. Uh, but you know the the ag with the amount of development, you're well aware. There's a lot of people in some other states that during our current times they're they're not very happy, and a lot of them are moving moving to this neck of the woods and and i'm fine with it you know i hope they remember why they made that move and uh it impacts their decision making processes moving forward um but being a part of that process i certainly do everything i can to limit the regulation uh and again all i am is an advisory committee member so you know i don't know how far that goes as i said i'm trying to learn that process and uh it's yeah, my little pea brain, it's hard to wrap around that deal, but very excited to hear that, that you've found success and, and good times in the coastal area as well as West Texas. I mean, I agree. The growth in West Texas has been, been good. The, the coastal area is not so much. The amount of development and the lack of, of farming, uh, the, you know, water rerouting, all those things that, that you hear about are things that are happening in a big way. Uh, between Houston and and those areas that that were really hot spots, but with that said, Texas is a great state, man. We've we've got great green tree opportunities, and just haven't put a lot of the resources uh, there that we probably should have historically, and and that's changing. Uh, uh, we haven't had any conversations about new regulations other than the fact that we don't want to follow suit and we don't want to limit opportunities. I mean, that's what makes Texas so great. In all honesty, you can come here and do anything, you know? I mean, uh, that we've, we've tried to keep the regulations down on, on gun owners, outdoorsmen. I mean, Texas is a great place to be. And uh, this year alone, you know, they they found some money as a result of the our state stamp and they're turning around and trying to buy more land or lease more land to make more public opportunities for that growing number. And, um, you know, I, again, we, we said the numbers of hunters are going down. So that's obviously not where the pressure comes from. The big deal you, you, you have to, uh, work with here in the state of Texas that is primarily privately owned. And as we move forward in our culture. You see that happening in a lot of a lot of other states as well. So I think the pressure that you see as a result of hey, it gets hot in West Texas. Next, you, know, you got all these outfitters leasing up land. So uh, the young man that used to be able to go down to the farm down the road and get permission that's that's a little harder to do, especially with all the big deer being shot in our great state. So uh, permission. The lack of permission, I think, drives more people to public because it's the only option they have. So 
I can tell you from firsthand experience that, that the committees involved with those decision-making processes here do not want more regulations. We do not want to limit access. And, and uh, I'll make sure and do my part, uh, as well as I know a lot of these other committee members will do to, to provide more access, not regulate what's currently available. If that, you follow me? Following you 100%. You said everything I hoped you would say. And then again, why the whole rest of the country loves Texas. Uh, you guys seem to have, you know, the right ball cap going on um, again. And, you know, I said that to say with, with hopefully the more out of state hunters coming in. And I know a lot of guys are spending time with outfitters and guys out there because, like you said, everything is privately held for the most part or a lot of it is. Um, and I know hopefully those dollars that are coming in from out of state hunters that are spending a little bit more time in Texas, hopefully that continues to allow those guys to have the right management ideas in place to continue you know, incorporating more land, just like you said. But that's exciting to hear that, um, you know, throughout history, Texas has always stood true, and it's exciting to hear that they're still there. Well, I, hey, I pre I want you to know, I appreciate you putting your money in this economy. I know when you come here, that state stamp that you buy, that money is right now, we're trying to allocate it to more land for you to come back next year. We want you back. You know, whether it's hotels or, or business owners here, I mean, you nailed it earlier. There, There is definitely, you know, you, you're having a hand on the economy here. And uh, we don't want to run you off, man. Uh, you're welcome here. We're neighbors. We're fellow outdoorsmen and waterfowl hunters. And I wish you all the best success. And if you find it here, come get it. That's beautiful. Hopefully we can we can get that pushed across to some of these other states as uh as things continue to carry on i know uh it ain't brother it ain't looking good <laughs> a man can dream a man can dream i guess one thing you talked about and i've seen this a lot more i didn't realize it was this bad until i started this social media thing but one thing and you touched on it a little bit and i think it's it's pretty specific to the northeast arkansas area a lot of these guys are really against the out-of-state hunters and from the local perspective. And I haven't seen, I know you guys have been subject to your own little backlash with some of the hot spots, like you mentioned, that you've you've had the camera at. But I haven't seen where you've, you've gotten a lot of negativity other than perhaps some of the, the locals of, of other areas. I don't want to isolate those guys, but I just wanted to hear your perspective on 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 why you think that is you know why do these guys just have such a hard time embracing other hunters and then on the back end of this i think i have some fun information i'll share with you that you might like but if you could just share your thoughts on that yeah i appreciate you asking look forward to hearing your fun information i uh, i you know i'd hate to speculate why um there is negativity and i don't know if it's you know i i don't you know, my mom taught me, and more so, really, I lost my dad at an early age, but but he had a huge impact on me before that incident happened. And uh, you know, if you ain't got nothing good to say, you probably ought to keep your mouth shut. And for whatever reason, uh, whether they weren't brought up like that or social media has just kind of changed that, I I don't get it. You know, when if I see a post I don't like or I think something that that isn't positive i i just i just move past it I, there's enough going on to be concerned with and i realize that 
I ain't into all that drama. And, uh, you know, I, I think as outdoorsmen, again, we're, we're all on the same team. That's something we talk about a lot. And, and look, if, if you don't like what's going on and it just move on by and unfortunately there's a handful of folks there. And, you know, the first thing I do when I see it, I want to respond. Uh, if I can't find a positive way to respond to it, I'll leave it alone. Uh, I do, I will click that person and just kind of look. And, you know, if, if you look at that person, one, that they, they probably ain't spent a lot of time outdoors, or two, they're spending a ton of time outdoors, and you ain't the only one that they're trying to drag through the mud. So, you know, at the end of the day, is it really worth our time really engaging with that? And I think that if if John comes to Texas and has a good day, I'm I'm happy for you. You're going to come back. You're going to stay outdoors. You already said you got three kids. The more fun you have outdoors, the more you enjoy that time, the more you're going to raise those kids in the outdoors. And I think that's what's missing in this world today. Uh, the old days of, of knowing the, the farmer and the outdoorsman who also hunts and fishes and knowing that a, a handshake is a commitment that's not going to be broken. You know, there's a lot of that, that that needs to come back in this world. And the outdoorsman is where that all starts. And that's just my personal opinion. Uh, so the more people we can get involved, that stay involved, it, it's just, it's going to be better for everybody. And why those guys get mad away. You know, I had a guy, uh, it's been several years back, but I posted a picture and it, and it had this tree in it. And this guy absolutely berated me i mean tore me up for posting a picture of that tree he said everybody in the world is going to know exactly where you were now and it, it really blew my mind because if you never seen that tree you would never know where that tree is right so the only way you're going to get in trouble is if you say where it is which this guy tried to tell me where it was, and he was wrong at the end of the day. It's the funniest thing ever. He <laughs> he was, he was two and a half hours from where he thought I was. But that's, you know, the point is, if I pull up at this boat ramp and you see me and you post that, that's on you, not on me. We don't give locations in what we do. And that tree or that boat ramp, if you've never been to that boat ramp, you're not going to know. And even if you'd say, I have been there, they're killing them, let's go, and you go three days later, there ain't no guarantee you're going to kill birds there anyway. I mean, it, it's senseless, and it doesn't help us. We got enough people coming after us, man. They're coming after our guns. They're coming after the land. That deal in Alabama with them trying to put that highway through that protected land and you know, it's it's the little small things all over the place, and uh, it's just if we can't stick together, there ain't nothing they, the other side loves more than, than watching us tear each other apart and break each other down. And the more we do that, the more regulations again get put in place, and it's just a mess, man. So it doesn't make sense to me, and I'm going to quit rambling because I'm just dying to hear what you got to share. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you, you're absolutely right, Billy. And, and that's the whole purpose of, you know, why I started this. And I know that's one of the big purposes you guys have is just making sure we're united to some front. And like I said, I, 
I didn't have a lot of social media. I posted on my personal account, which I messaged you on. But when I started the podcast and all, I made everything brand new. And that was the first time I was really subjected to some of this going on. And, you know, I even fell victim myself to responding to somebody on TikTok uh, that I probably shouldn't have, you know, that was going around. But since then, I've kind of been able to bite my tongue a little bit. And I'll definitely heed your words of advice there with with just scrolling past. You know, that's something I still need to learn to do. But um, some of the, the fun information about this. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm my home state of South Carolina and South Carolina today, it, at least most of the southern Atlantic flyway, with the exception of Florida at times, is is not really a waterfowl's paradise anymore. You know, the, the northern parts of the Atlantic flyway do pretty well. I'd say down to route about North Carolina, this, it, the birds tend to stop and that can be weather related and, and management practices. We won't get into all that. But historically, for uh, you know, many, many years, South Carolina was a beacon point in the Atlantic Flyway for waterfowling. And in the late 60s, early 70s, Arkansas actually in, uh, put a restriction on the mallards to where you can only shoot one bird. Um, and, and this is all uh, public information. We can go back and look this up. And, and in that time, uh, you know, again, late 60s, early 70s, when Arkansas only had the one mallard limit, we had tons of out-of-staters from Arkansas coming to South Carolina to hunt the the Santee Lake chains here so they could kill their five mallards. And, uh, you know, there there's, a again, Matt with a, with Daddy Duck, he he's shared a bunch of stories about that. You know, his dad was the one that started the first state duck call championship, and he guided these guys from Arkansas to come out here and kill these mallards when their restrictions were in place. And, uh, again, it's just – you know, as hunters, as a public hunting community, we need to remember things like that. We have a short term memory. Right. And Arkansas might be home right now, but there was a time where those guys were struggling and they were trying to get out and, and being able to enjoy it themselves. So, uh, again, that's the fun information there. I thought you might like. Well, I appreciate you saying that, man. You make a great point, right? It's it's not. Crazy stuff. But so with that, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, we, we've gone into kind of, you know, what your position is that you were um, kind of voted into or you, you were blessed enough to be placed into. And I think, again, a, a great position for Texas to have somebody like you that has that kind of perspective from being a resident and, and the local hunting and, and kind of regulations you can speak on from that perspective. But then also doing all the travel that you do. I don't think there's a better person to be in a position like that than you and yourself. But kind of with that, when you when you found out that you were going to be on this position or even when you were up for vote to to potentially be in this position, did you have kind of a goal in mind that you said, I've I, I'm going to have this opportunity or perhaps I'll have this opportunity? What does success in this position look like for you? Man, what a good question, Jonathan. Uh, and thank you for the kind word. Um, sometimes I, I don't know that I'm smart enough guy to, to be in that position for these fellas. There's, there's some really smart folks associated with that process. And, uh, but to, to answer your question, not really. Um, I, I tend to, I think the, one of the most valuable things that we can do as a person is to see other people's perspective. Uh, I don't think necessarily that where we come from and our foundations could be altered as a result of those. Uh, however, I do think they should always be considered. Uh, so I went in really with an open mind to just kind of listen, learn, 
understand the process. And quite frankly, I, I'm not really done with that yet. I, I've learned a lot already. Uh, it's just my second year doing it. And I'm, I'm at a point where I'm comfortable sharing my perspective. But I still think that the more valuable thing for me to do at this time is, is to listen and continue to learn so that I can be effective and be a voice uh, for the public land guy. And I think that if I had to say, is there anything I really wanted to sit out and do, uh, which again, keeping that open mind was a priority, but I, like you, understand that maybe some of these committees don't always have all aspects of the outdoorsman covered. And I realized that coming into this and not like the gentleman who nominated me had realized it. Uh, this, this gentleman is great guy, long-term service to our great state, wonderful outdoorsman, uh, incredible input, uh, just a great dude, man. He nominated me, and I, he did, he never said this, but I think it was a result of him realizing that the majority of the people on this committee were not representative of the public land guy. Uh, and I think you find that a lot uh, if you look at some of these committees, some of these board members, and and people in that decision making process. Uh, you got a lot of outfitters, you got a lot of landowners, and I think they're all important, but uh, I was one of three people nominated that year, and all three of us were experienced on public land, uh, which was not something that was popular on that committee uh, at the time. And not that they weren't on public land at some point, but as you get older, a lot of these guys move to outfitting or owning and leasing and or, you know. So I just want to be good representation to our fellow public land guy. That's it. And, uh, you know, do I have a perspective in a lot of these situations? Sure. I mean, I've already shared my perspective on what I think about regulations, right? But again, just keeping that open mind and making sure I represent guys that want to share time here, whether in-state, out-of-state, make sure that public perspective is part of this decision-making process moving forward. I mean, that's, that's what I would say would be my primary goal because nominate and put into these, I, I want to, just like a, an office, a government office per se. I mean, are you really there to do what you came to do? You should be doing what the people who elected you came to do, if that makes sense, right? Uh, so I kind of see it as, is I'm not there necessarily for, for my input as much as I am for the input of those that I share time with on public land. That's probably the best answer I can probably expect from that. And I appreciate it. That was I got lucky. That's all that is. That's <laughs> squirrel somewhere. <laughs> I was about to say, uh, you might not now, but if you're looking for a future career in politics, you got my vote, Billy. Well, till they look into my background, I imagine I'd be done. <laughs> <laughs> so and kind of going off of that and into the birds, you know, I think a lot of what you guys have been able to do, like I said in the beginning, is a lot of the new waterfowl is you guys have been able to incorporate them, you know, kind of digitally and distantly, um, kind of being that mentor in place. But at the same time, you guys have a, a great perspective, I think, that experienced waterfowlers would benefit from, 
you know, at least listening to and adopting to some extent. Um, everybody should be their own man and, it, you know, think for themselves. But I think when you have the right beacon to kind of guide you in, in any aspect of life, uh, you, you should listen to it. So one question I'd like to ask is for when it comes to getting into waterfowling as a whole, and this can go to the the light of, you know, how to get on birds, or it could be just how to be a better steward of the outdoors. What is one major tip or the most important tip you think you could give to somebody that's just getting into the sport? I think um, this will be uh, probably a collection of thoughts. I'm, I'm very blessed. To, the guy that I hunt with is a very thoughtful, considerate, and genuine man. And, you know, as well as anybody, you spend a great deal of time with a guy. That's one thing. You spend that time alone with him in the outdoors. That's a whole different level. And uh, as much as this gentleman, the Dr. Duck I'm referring to, can be a frustrating individual and you you know how it is you hang out with a guy for 30 years you don't wring his old neck sometimes but as i mentioned he's a very genuine and considerate man and we've had these types of conversations and uh you know a new guy coming in it's kind of two-sided one is just just be there and part of that just being there is not becoming discouraged you know, if, if you pay too much attention to some of this social media stuff, it could look like everybody's killing them every day. And, and uh, you know, I've tried to, I've posted pictures where we hold up a empty game tote. You know, just, you know, you don't get them every day. You, if you hunt public land, there are going to be more days than not that, that you're not on them the wish, you know, the way you wish you had been. I mean, you know that. You've got enough experience to know that. And, thing is these young kids coming in don't have that experience yet like you said if they lack that mentor uh they may not know they get a few bad days and then on top of that you have a bad experience you know i you hear these stories about these holes early on in the season in some of these states that are more popular than others and you get a hundred guys come in on you i mean it's it's not fictitious i mean it's it's the real deal and you know, it was it just broke my heart last year. There was a new there was a kid that came up to me and Dennis at the boat ramp and he wanted to shake our hands and he just wanted to share with us this story from that morning. And he got a spot. And uh he was the only one in that spot. He was that I wanna say he was a baseball player, pretty quick little fella. Ran to the hole, it was lack of water. Got there, held it down, and saw the parade of flashlights coming in. And there was a group of guys that, that were locals to that state and told him that that's where they hunt and he's going to leave. And, you know, the, the rule currently on public land is you can't make anybody leave, right? If I walk in on you and I want to hunt there, there ain't nothing you can do about it. You got to make room. Uh, if you tell me you don't want to make room, you the guy that's going to get in trouble. Uh, I I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, I think if it wouldn't be an added regulation, it'd be a change regulation, in my opinion. I think that if you first guy in a spot uh, and you want to be a turd and usher everybody else away, let's say you're not even being a turd. Say you got a hole that's capable of hunting four and you already got six in it. Probably not a good idea and it's not going to be a good hunt. 
if you keep adding people. You know, so maybe it's a good decision that day. Say, hey, any other time, come on with it. But that kid that day tried to stand his ground, just, and he was very polite. Yeah, I wasn't there. He had a video, so I know he wasn't lying. And it almost went fist to cuff, and he was threatened to be shot. You know, this kid was, I want to say he was 19. I mean, terrible. So if this was that, that boy's second or third hunt, what do you think the likelihood he coming back there next time? He come. I mean, it's, it's not. So I hope that these young men don't come discouraged by unique situations such as that. And more importantly, I hope that us as a community, we, we just got to do better, man. And I think you already answered what my follow-up question would have been on that. You gave the, the word of advice to the young beginning waterfowler, but what about to the, the experienced waterfowler, you know, somebody that's that's been in the community a long time? Is that word of advice just to do better? That's it, man. That's it. We got to do better. I agree 100%, Billy. And I'm, you know, hopefully, again, the more people travel, the more people listen to this and kind of incorporate it. We get, we get to spread the good seeds and, and kind of weed out the bad. I think uh, throughout history, life has a way of doing that itself. And hopefully with the right influence, the right fertilizer, we, we can help make that right seed grow. But I think we, we touched on everything from the regulation perspective, you being in your new position. I wanted to hear really quick what your, what your outlook and what your expectations are for this season. From an experienced waterfowler like yourself, everything you're looking at, are you hopeful or you think it's going to be a wash? We're going to kill them all, baby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, we've never measured. I used to. You talked about the, the numbers, and, and I can already tell you're a super sharp dude, and and I know how much uh, how bad is important with your military background. And, and uh, I, you know, there was a time and period in my life where I paid great attention to the detail and numbers. And uh, I, I shared this before. I'm sorry if you've heard it. I'll shorten it. Uh, but what I found was that I could look at that data and I'm, I, I could tell you tomorrow that I wasn't going to kill them. I might be thinking I ain't going. And I think I put myself in a position during that time that, that there were you know, how many times you think it's going to be a terrible day, you show up and whatever, for whatever reason, something happens. We don't understand as the waterfowl hunter how much is impacting these birds. And number one is pressure. And if, if, if for whatever reason, birds are pushed away from where they want to be from pressure and you in the right spot, you could have a great day. But I would get to looking at these numbers and I'd be thinking, I'd be eventually telling Dennis, look, we shot him, we, 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 we hunted on this exact same barometric pressure with these temps, freeze line in the same place, the water's in the same place, same date, we zeroed, I ain't going tomorrow. I'm waiting on this front, or I'm waiting on this. You know, Rusty Creek, he's a private guy, but he always says that ain't kill them from the couch deal. And I just found that I was paying too much attention to those numbers. And the other side of that is if you're a driven guy, 
you want those numbers to improve, right? So I, I just, you know what? I, I scratched it. I, I quit looking. I quit listening to all the predictions. I quit documenting what the days look like that I kill them, what the days look like I don't kill them. I got rid of all of it and realizing that it ain't about that. And the, the true joy is, you know, taking taking your kids out there or being out there with that guy you want to strangle half the time. You know, it's just, it's about that journey. And that journey for us doesn't always, obviously, it's a great day when you can put the hammer on them, but it, it's, they're, they're great days shared with other people that we didn't kill a duck. And I, I'm good with that. So, so I, you know, this year my expectations are the same as they are last year. Regardless of what happened, I'm going to be super thankful to be out there. And I, it always happens. People say, "Man, it, y'all had 22 guys this opening day." You know, they, you're going to run into people, and there's a lot of people who are excited opening day. You'll probably have. I mean, there's just more people that hunt opening weekend. A lot of those guys are going to hunt opening day and may not ever come back. That's just the weekend they're going to hunt, celebrate the season coming in, right? Everybody's excited. Last thing we need is a bad day. You jump in, hey, we we let as many as we can let in into that spot, so I know I'm going to shake some new hands. I'm going to see some new faces. I'm going to hear some great stories, and I can I can guarantee you that we're going to have all the snacks. So it ain't that, that's that's my I'm excited. It's it's another another season here, and I'm blessed enough to be in you know good enough shape that I can get out and enjoy that. We have access to some great public lands. I'm going to utilize what I can, and and uh, we're going to have a good time. And if there's enough to be found, I run with a guy who works really hard. That's his passion is finding them. If there's one in the area, we're going to be on it. So. You know, I'll lead, let him do his thing, and and uh, I I promise you, if, you know, we'll be close. <laughs> Amen to that. And so the last thing, Billy, I like to like ask all the guests to do before we close the episode out is I like everybody to share at the end of the episode, if you will, one hunt that if you could go back and and relive over and over again in your mind, you know, maybe. It's the last hunt. It's your first bird. But if you could share the story of one hunt that just sticks in your head and keeps you coming back. I, you know what? I hate these questions, bro. And I asked the same exact question on my podcast. Tim, don't go anywhere. If for me, the answer is always there isn't one. There never is one. But I got a guy standing in front of me. Come here. Come here. I picked up, I, he made me pick him up after midnight. Y'all military guys and your schedules, man, it just kicks me off sometimes. This is, this is my oldest son, Tim. See here, Tim? And I want to say, uh, he's still active military. Uh, he's 30-something now. How old are you? 31. 31. He's fortunate <laughs> enough where he gets, he gets to spend some time with me during duck season. He comes hangs out, but. I know what, what he does and and I know what the family around him does and prays about and thinks about and I want to say thank you to you and your family for your commitment to our still very great country. Very thankful for you and I'm not just saying that. I mean it because I get it, right? 
But the one story I'm going to give you, because it just popped in my head when you stand there, is about this kid. All right, get your ugly face off my TV. <laughs> so he was probably, shoot, I don't know, nine or ten. And I mentioned that I didn't have a lot of money. And and uh, while I worked very hard in a career and eventually got to a place where I could provide more for my kids at this stage, uh, when you talk about going hunting and stuff, you, you, you scaring stuff, you know what I mean? It's just how it is. I enjoyed scouting, not as much as Dennis, but I enjoyed getting out. And the kids were being at nine or 10, he was at that age where I could carry him everywhere, right? Plus you're giving mom a break when you get the boys out the house. So we'd take him, me and Dennis, we're off, it's, it's public, but it's landlocked on this little river and it's flooded out into this slough and there's about six owners of the area surrounding this. I mean, if you could drive your boat to this spot, now you can't because they put in culverts and done all this other stuff so it's not really a navigable waterway anymore. But back then, we could run boats up, right? We did one better and we got private access to this area. We got one of the landowners to give us access. Dennis did that. And uh, we hadn't hunted it. We went to scout it. We knew it'd be good because we'd been in our boats in that area. I took Timo out with us and we went scouted this place. And we kind of, we had rubber boots. We walked around the edges. It, it was early season, not terribly cold. Uh, but of course, you know, even in November here, the, the water can be a little chilly. And uh, anyway, we found them, bro. I mean, we found him, and he put eyes on it. We sat out there and ate snacks and just watched ducks fall in this spot and just enjoyed the show. And little did we know that'd be the highlight of the trip. But the next day, he's like, hey, what time are we getting up? I'm like, You're, you ain't going. We're going to need to wait after this spot. I ain't got waiters for you. You know, waiters even though they're only a hundred bucks or whatever. If you're trying to raise a family, it's hard to find money to buy kid waiters that they may use a handful of time. You know, our kids, when they're between six and 10, we're putting them in a P-Row, we're pooling them, we're floating them in on decoy bags, you know, whatever we can do, we keep them dry, keep them out of the water. This is the day we're going to travel light, wear waiters and go in, and he wasn't going. He said, I'm going. I got to go. And thinking about all we saw, I could not tell him no. And this old boy put on his boots and his coveralls, and he waded into that spot with us. And again, I, do you remember how old he was? I, he was nine or ten years old. And he waded in with us. I found the beaver hut, took a change of clothes, put him up on that beaver hut, and we did not shoot a single bird that day. It was a, a long walk, and we saddled him back up in the coveralls, and he walked his butt out. By the time we got out, Dennis and I were each on one of his arms, dragging him because he couldn't move his feet hardly no more. And I put him in that car seat, in the truck, not the car seat, but I put him in the truck seat, and he immediately crashed and went to sleep. I don't think he woke up until that night, but do you remember any of that? It, to me... 
when you ask about a memorable hunt that I would do again, that, you know, just sharing that time and seeing the work that he put in to be there. He, he wasn't mad that he didn't shoot nothing. There wasn't no whining. Just being able to go with Dad and Dennis, make that trip just in case you hit a lick and how proud he was that he did it without waiters. You know, it was uh, it was a special day for me. And, and obviously, you know, later on in life, I remember him hitting me up after RAS. We kept a good line of communication. We stayed in touch, and we have a great relationship. And after RAS, he told me that, uh, he said, you know, a lot of these guys coming in here are sissies, man. I think the duck hunting thing was the best preparation that I could have ever had to do what I'm doing now. So, you know, you just, man, you never know what lessons and what, you know, what the outdoor provides. And, and uh, that, that was a very meaningful hunt for me. Well, thank you for sharing that, first of all, Billy. Also, thank you, of course, and thank Timbo for his service. Um, I know it's not easy. You sign on the dotted line, especially for somebody himself, like uh, it's gone through RASP. I know that's not an easy process myself. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, again, you've highlighted everything we've talked about the episode and that story about what it's actually about. And, again, Billy, just want to say thank you for everything that you've done for the community so far, everything you and Dennis will both will continue to do. And again, I'm excited for someone like you to be in the position you are with your home state. And I hope other states will follow suit and, and we can start making some change. I appreciate you very much, brother. Appreciate what you do. Thank you again for your service. And man, again, it, it ain't us. It's, it's you and, and everybody coming up after you that, that are going to be the difference makers. And, uh, very thankful for what you're doing over at John. Yes, sir. I greatly appreciate it, Billy. Well, thank you again. Take care and good luck for the rest of the season. I'll, uh, I'll hit you up on social. Let's stay in touch, man. I want to see how you do and, and, uh, let me know when and where this goes. Give me the deets on that and I'll make sure and share it and we can drive some folks your way. I hope. It works. Yeah. So one thing I plan to do, I'm a, I'm going to go on the store. I'm going to get the guys, um, the journey backpack. I've got a lot of hoodies and stuff that just came out myself. So I'm going to give away one of your journey backpacks. Um, so I'm going to go on the website and grab one of those when I release this and I'll definitely share the details with you on how I'm going to run that. You the man, let me know how I can help brother. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate it, Dennis. And you guys take care. Right, buddy. Have a good day. All right.